Welcome to master plan class. This is class number three and Shem. we will finish the intro tonight. Um, I'm still in the introduction and I want to go back and I want to spend some time making sure we understand who Rav, Shimshon or Samson Hirsch, who is that? Who is Samson Raphael Hirsch, as we call him Rav Hirsch. So this is really important because why spend so much time on this particular piece of literature to help with the foundation of our halakha? Well, here is what it says on page XVII. So page uh, 17, it says this, it says, we mentioned that in principle, we follow Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch and his classification of the mitzvot. We follow him also in most cases in his presentation and interpretation of the mitzvot. Understanding that halakha is all about applying the action of the mitzvot, like the results. So the commandment of keeping the Shabbat, so the halakha would be upholding the commandment. So how do we walk it out is another way we put it. So you can do it in classification. So this is where we talked about the different sections of the Talmud, the different sections of the Mishneh Torah by the Rambam, and then the tour. And also we have here for master plan. But another part of that is how do you interpret? Because there are so many interpretations that you can have for the commandments as well. So it says, we do this because we believe that this is his voice or that it is his voice above all others, which has the most to say in our day and age. So I wanna spend some time focusing on what was it like in his day and age? So it says, who was Samson Raphael Hirsch when Europe European emancipation began to offer Jews entree into the social, intellectual, and economic life of early 19th century, the previously ghetto-bound Jews and Jewesses found the experience intoxicating. Traditional Judaism with its restrictions was seen as an impediment or an impediment to progress. So Torah was getting in the way of having a good life. And it says, it seemed to them dark and lifeless, belonging to the ghetto they had left behind them. All the lights beckoned on the other side. So today in our progressive culture, there are so many things to really uh, get into on that, but we're not. But just like we have today, I was thinking about decades ago, you know, I'm not that old, obviously, but when I was born thinking about the world as it is now versus how I was then, like having conversations about, you know, when I was younger, I, I had a, a Walkman CD player that had an anti-skip button because if you move around too much, when you're listening to your Walkman, the song would skip. <laughs> Nobody knows probably what that is today. So, you know, thinking about just those little things and, along with those electronic devices so also has been the thinking the things that are seen to be okay and think this is this is normal you know and we talked about hashem considers torah observance normal obviously the world doesn't right so just thinking about today in this day and age okay it's nice if you want to do torah it's nice if you want to be observant and things like that but you know hey you want to be tolerant. You know, you don't want to be seen as uh, exclusive. You don't want to be seen as putting too many standards, drawing too many lines in the sand. That makes you a person who is uh, aggressive. That could make you arrogant, you know, and this is in the eye of the beholder, obviously. So we experienced this during Rabbi Hirsch's time. So it says, I'm going to go to the bottom of the page. While still a young man, he proceeded to communicate his vision to his German-speaking co-religionists. 
he succeeded in inspiring a significant number of young people to be completely Torah observant while still participating fully in the emancipated society of 19th century Germany. So this is important because I took some notes with my Havruta when we first started this book. And there's something called Euro Parliament debates that took place in the 1700s. And this was a big deal in Europe about not trusting the Jews, like those Jews are up to no good kind of thing. And what we decided we wanted to do was be accepted by these anti-Semitic Gentiles. Now, that may sound harsh, but literally non-Jews who are anti-Semitic and we're trying to gain their trust. So there was a lot of compromise and things like that going on. Also, um, this is post uh, Shabbatai Zabi, false Mashiach of uh, the 1600s. And um, there was a big, you know, impact made in the Jewish community after that. And then not too long later, you have the rise of Hasidic Judaism under the Baal Shem Tov. And uh, that, we know how that went. Uh, a lot of book burning, a lot of, nope, don't trust them. You can't marry our daughters. Don't eat their food kind of thing. You're not accepted in our community. This is not a legit Judaism. So that happened. Then you have all the stuff going on in Europe. And then Rabbi Hirsch is like, hey, everybody, let's bring it back in. You know, let's be a part of society, but let's be Torah observant. So same thing with us today. We can still be engaged in the crazy world as it is, but we can still be uh, <laughs> we can still be Torah observant. We have a chat here. Wouldn't the Hasidic movement be one of those groups drawing too many lines in the sand? <laughs> nice. They are definitely seen as doing some crazy stuff. Um, there were uh, more traditional, like not so quote unquote crazy uh, branches of Judaism. One is like the, the lit, lit fic. Uh, we had more of um, the traditional Judaism where it was, you know, there's the strictness of the mitzvot and things like that. You have the Lithuanian Jews and uh, things like that. So more uh, super orthodoxy. And not necessarily dry, but uh, compared to Hasidic Judaism, it's just kind of like, are these people alive? Because Hasidic Judaism, they're like moving or dancing, they're singing, they're out in nature and, uh, you know, doing all the hit boda dude and things like that. And so very, very more spiritual, uh, more mystical, even in their interpretations. A lot of uh, the teachings that we follow of Yeshua uh, sound very Hasidic, you know, like the concept of the Zodic that you attach yourself to so that his merit can be applied to yours, you know, things like that. So Rabbi Hirsch is post all of this. So there's a lot just, just kind of molding and, and, and going out. Well, guess what else is going on during this time? Something called the Renaissance. And I'm going to go to Horeb, actually. So if you haven't gotten a chance to purchase Horeb, uh, this is by Rob Hirsch as well. Uh, remember, this is the big, big brother to uh, Master Plan. So I want to bring this up here on page XXI, page 21. It says, Samson Raphael Hirsch and his generation grew up during a new epoch in history. This new epoch had its roots in the Renaissance and the subsequent intellectual reactions of the French Revolution, British empiricism, and continental rationalism. The the well, the philosophy, <laughs> the philosophy of enlightenment. By the way, Haskalah is the Jewish enlightenment different from the enlightenment period that we're thinking of here. But just as a side note, um, then you have, and finally, the critical and moral philosophy of Immanuel Kant. You ever heard of Kantism? Um, 
yeah, you might want to take some time to look that up because it's pretty crazy. And just to say, we can't do that. Okay. The Renaissance and humanism evolving a new type of European man. You know, the concept in the letters of the Brit Hadashah called the one new man. Well, Europe had their own concept of the one new man. It's called the new European man, the Renaissance man. It says, brought into existence the modern world with its own conceptions of philosophy and religion, its reawakened arts and sciences, its manifold inventions and discoveries, its changed political and social, system, social systems, its expansive and progressive forces. A lot of what we have today is born out of this time period. And Rob Hirsch was like, let's go ahead and just get involved, get our hands in it and still keep the Torah. It is possible. You know, today, as all the things are going on, we're still able to be Torah observant, Baruch Hashem. It has rightly been said that the Renaissance was in reality a spiritual revolution against medieval Christianity and its otherworldliness. Let's repeat that. This is Horeb introduction, page 21. It has rightly been said that the Renaissance was in reality a spiritual revolution against medieval Christianity and its otherworldliness. You know, you ever heard of the Reformation? Well, that took place in the 1500s. So, yeah, the Renaissance coming after all of that. Christianity was doing some, some weird stuff. So anyway, um, it aroused a desire to reappropriate the whole abandoned province of terrestri terrestrial energy and hope to emulate antiquity by going back to its classical sources. Renaissance and its concomitant of humanism rejected that religious philosophy which saw the only absolute reality in the soul and its future life it rediscovered natural man quote unquote in contrast to what christianity called the spiritual man so let's get out of all this spiritual stuff and get down into the the flesh and the mundane and the um the more uh hedonistic uh, aspect of who we are, who we can be. Bezrat Hashem, we're not hedonistic. <laughs> Save us, Hashem. Okay, who cared mainly for the salvation of his own soul and tended to neglect the problems of this world. So the thing is, there's diametrically opposed, like, let's not be too spiritual, let's be very, very physical, fleshly, natural. But the problem is, in Judaism and the Torah, we're, we learn that the spiritual and the physical are to be echad. They're to be one, unified, right? So what the Renaissance was trying to fight back against with Christianity is also very sad because it's still missing the mark. And it says, um, so the salvation of his own soul intended to neglect the problems of this world and the possibility of their solution through the study of the phenomena of nature and manifestations of the all-embracing human mind. Footnote says, it is one of the tragedies of Jewish history in the diaspora that although the justified criticism of Christianity on this point by the leading minds of the Renaissance and the spiritual movements following it does not apply at all to authentic Judaism doesn't apply to authentic Judaism justified criticism of Christianity on this point by the leading minds of the Renaissance and the spiritual movements following it does not apply to authentic Judaism nevertheless Jewish religious life and conceptions of that period suffered greatly from that criticism as we shall show and do course so again this is in the introduction to horeb but 
there's a lot of just backlash going on. We, we had a, a false Mashiach. We had the, the Reformation going on the other side. The world is like, let's do things in a different way. We're, we can take this thing to the next level. Get away from all that spiritual Bible stuff. Let's look at nature. Let's, let's worship like they did in the days of Enosh. You know, the days of Enosh from Bereshit from Genesis. Not good times. So the other thing here that's very important says it is characteristic of Jewish history that all religious conflicts centered on the law and never on creed or dogma. Think about that for a second. Jewish history and all of the conflicts that we had centered on the Torah and never on creed or dogma. You know, the church argues over predestination, uh, pre-trib, post-trib, all that random stuff. Never in Torah. It's always about well, how are we going to do these mitzvot? Are we going to be stringent with them? Are we going to be lenient? How does this apply in this area? How does this apply over there? What about if you're poor? What about if you're rich? What are, what are things that are anger means? You know, are you living near a community of established you know, Torah scholars, Beit Midrash, uh, yeah, like before the rapture and after the rapture stuff. Yes, that's post-trib, pre-trib. Um, there's no trib, by the way. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so there will be troubles, obviously, because we're going through little bits of those now. But all that to say, we're not focused on creeds and dogmas. We're focused on what's in the Torah. What does it say? What do the sources say? So if we ever find ourselves getting into a disposition of beliefs and opinions and things like that, like, what do we believe? What do we hold? Stop and say, where can we find the source? This is the really amazing thing about authentic Judaism. Is that there's a source. We don't just pull things out of the air. We don't fly by the seat of our pants. We take it to the source. This is why. The beauty of understanding what Yeshua's words are teaching us, we find them throughout all the literature that we study. And it's so, so beautiful. Just the little uh, moments of revelation that we have when we're doing a mitzvah or the, the moments of revelation we have when we're uh, in a Yom Tov and we're like, oh, that's this. Oh, my goodness. Yeshua was talking about, you know, and you just freak out, you know. So anyway, things like that. Next statement says, but while the dissenting schools of the Sadducees and later the Karaites, which, by the way, Christianity grew out of Karaites Judaism, word of God only, solo scriptura, which means no Torah, because if you don't have the oral Torah, you have an incomplete Torah, and it's really going to be hard to fulfill a lot of things without making up stuff. This is how other festivals that are not in the Bible exist today, that people think this is what we must do if we love God. It goes on to say that in spite of their rejection of the oral law, recognize the divine origin and binding power of the written law, the leading minds of reform movement of the 19th century revolted against the written Torah and denied divine origin of the Pentateuch, the five books of Torah. So Reformed Judaism was like, none of it's divine. We don't accept the written word either. So obviously that has a variance because today there are some reform uh, shuls that actually do say, you know, yeah, this is the word of God. So you can find different flavors. But it says the legal part of the Pentateuch, which is characteristic side of Judaism, was dropped and only its general religious and moral ideas accepted as the core of Judaism. Thereby, the all-pervasiveness of halakha, or law in Judaism, was challenged. And a creed arose within Jewry, which dangerously approximated the anto, or antinomian attitude of Pauline Christianity. So we brought in, but Paul said, type behavior and created creeds 
and things like that when we moved away from the written and the oral Torah. So at best, if you take away the oral Torah, you get yourself into a Christian kind of uh, disposition. Thought that was interesting, Horeb brings that up. You get into a Pauline Christianity. So Rabbi Hirsch was like, let's just avoid all those pitfalls and uh, unnecessary events. And it, back over here to um, the master plan on page 17, where he was talking about uh, basically uh, inspiring the young people to be completely Torah observant, that, that part. It says he was the founder of a movement which still flourishes in many parts of the world today, particularly in the U.S. His first major work was Horeb, which he addressed to the, look at this, the thinking young Jews and Jewesses of his time. The Renaissance is, is like stirring up these thoughts, like let's let's push the bounds of how we've lived life and think about how we exist. And Rob Hirsch was like, let's use that to the advantage. This is the beautiful thing about Master Plan is taking advantage of our existence in this modern era that we live in. And it says, it is on Hirsch's presentation of Horeb, of the plan of the mitzvot and the meaning and goals of Jewish life that the present work is largely based. That statement is something that I just, I love and just put a star next to because this is why uh, I want to encourage our Mishpaka of starting your Halakha from master plan, moving into Horeb, going into the Shulchan and going into the Mishneh Torah and tracing it all the way back to its origin, the Talmud. So that way you can get a, a, a healthy buildup as you move forward and you can be very strong and strengthened and you're not just flying by the seat of your pants and being too nervously freaked out about what, what halakha you are keeping and is this orthodox, is this, is this too reform? I don't wanna be seen as reform, you know, and things like that, don't freak out. Just start with the master plan, work your way up, really understand the meaning, the, t the intent and the purpose of the mitzvot and, and really engage in the world. Because again, one of the things we want to make sure we never do is forsake the world because we're too observant. The moment you spend more time isolating yourself in prayer and study and, and trying to do other things that you think are spiritually beneficial and you forsake your fellow man, that is dangerous. We don't want to be there. Master plan is here to save the day on that. So want to jump to the last part of this introduction here and I want to go to page XXIII which is page 23 you're going to complete the introduction Baruch Hashem contemporary challenges I want to start with this uh this sentence that's in the middle of the paragraph and we got a question here I decided I'm just going to answer questions as we go uh, you would have to, because if you take away the parts of the Torah, you have to replace it with something. That's right. Excellent. Uh, when it says the goals of Jewish life, that the present work is largely based, is it saying all Jewish life, regardless of sect? Yes. One of the things that's so crazy about the different sects of Judaism is it really boils down to how is it being practiced and applied? If you really try to research out orthodox or conservative or reform, you're gonna get a, a big gamut of levels and interpretations within each of those branches. There's some, uh, I believe 12 branches. You know what? We're gonna take time and do this. I'm gonna share my screen with you, but stand by, I'm gonna pull up this file. This is very important. So uh, please pardon me for digressing into this but one of the things of understanding 
how Judaism is uh, structured is just a, a thing that needs to be known. I have a file here that talks about orthodoxy. Let's see where it is. I have a few files apparently. Uh, stand by everyone. Old school search way. Orthodoxy. That's one. Let's go here. Okay, cool. All right, stand by sharing my screen. Start the broadcast. Three, two, one. Sharing screen is on. Okay. So hopefully this is not too blurry for everyone. But this is branches of Orthodox Judaism. Again, you heard me mention Lithbic. Lithuania and things like that. So these are some of those traditional uh, Judaisms uh, that we were talking about earlier, that people were like, oh, this is too oppressive. It's getting in the way of us progressing. We're free from this oppression now. Let's go do some things in the world. So you got Poland, which is your Hasidism, uh, Rabbi Israel Baal Shem Tov. Notice how they come from locations. They're based off of where you're at in the world. Okay, Lithuania, you have the Misnagin under Rabbi Elijah, the Gaon of Vilna. So the Vilna Gaon, it's Lithuania. This was the one who was like, get them Hasids out of here, burn their stuff. Uh, that's, we don't, we don't want to do that, right? Okay, uh, Germany, this is your neo-Orthodoxy Rabbi Shamshon Hirsch. So what flavor of Judaism is Rabbi Hirsch? Neo-Orthodox. So a lot of master plan and Horeb is going to get us into some neo-Orthodoxy. Not too orthodox, but also not too conservative because, again, it's a balance. So birthing out of, you know, these top three here, you have the Chabad Lubavitch. Uh, you have the religious Zionism, which is a whole nother thing. Notice how it's not connected to anything there. Not no no shade throwing at the Zionists, but uh, yeah, just saying, not connected to any of the traditional stuff. Um, it's good to be zealous though. Uh, the Agadat Yisrael Coalition of Right Wing Traditionalists. We got the Musar movement. Shout out to the Rambat, the Musar class, and apparently Leia is going to be stepping on board. Hopefully that wasn't a spoiler, but uh, I'm excited. <laughs> anyway, so Musar movement, we we got that in our community, so I'm excited about that. Musar is so good. If you're not doing Musar, please do it. Uh, Lithuanian yeshivas, uh, this is the Velozin, the Brisk. Uh, so these are super, like, you know, uh, up there in the stringencies and the level of study and, and dedication and things like that. Uh, yeshiva Jews, basically. You have your anti-Zionist group birthed out of Hasidic Judaism. Uh, then you have your Sephardic Orthodoxy, where they come from. Agadat Yisrael, which is fed by Poland and Lithuania. It's gotta be awkward. Uh, the Vilna Gaon was against the Hasidism, but they ended up marrying into the right-wing traditionalist and came out to be Sephardic Orthodoxy. Baruch Hashem, Hashem makes shalom, right? Bring us together. And here's another thing, too, to think about. Like, when we get the temple, it may be soon in our days, a lot of these different groups here, notice how they're all considered to be Jews, right? So we're all going to be brought together. The temple is going to unify us. It's not going to matter if you're Musar or Orthodox or conservative. Like if you plan on going to the temple, you're going to have to line up accordingly. Right. And it's just kind of like there's going to be this big pull in like the men do with the Zit Zit to say the Shema. We pull in all four corners. 
So, uh, yeah. So then we got the American Centrist Modern Orthodoxy. That's Yeshiva University, uh, Rabbi Soloveitchik. Uh, if you haven't heard any of Rabbi Soloveitchik's teachings, please do. Uh, million dollar words and um, just amazing stuff uh, from there. Great insights. Uh, and I can share this file if anyone needs it, because I read I read all this. I literally read all these, all those links and all this, uh, because there's also other forms of Judaism, Reconstructionist 1940s. Uh, so we're looking at coming up to the end of World War II and birth of Israel kind of thing. We got open orthodoxy, Rabbi Weiss, humanistic Judaism, a non-theistic movement that emphasizes Jewish culture and history. Come on. Don't you want to just be Jewish without all the stuff? Uh, Neo-log Judaism. Sorry for the commentary. I just need to read. Jewish renewal. Jewish science. Non-Jewish related movements. You ever heard of Messianic Judaism? Look at what's underlined. Considered a form of Christianity. Good night. You ever heard of uh, Black Israelites? Um, you'll probably uh, feel them before you hear them because their, uh, their animosity is pretty thick. So uh, be careful around these ones. They are very zealous and they dress very, very, um, you can identify them. You'll know it's a Black Israelite when you see it, when you see them. Uh, look at underline, generally not recognized by the mainstream Jewish societies as legitimately Jewish. Good night. Notice with Messianic Judaism, they didn't really attack their Jewishness. They just said, oh, this is just a form of Christianity. But with Black Judaism, they were like, well, they're not even legitimately Jewish. So there's that. But anyway, Geographic roots of Jewish groups. You ever wonder where did Ashkenazi and Sephardi come from? Well, guess what? There's another one called Mizrahi. So, and again, these are all based off of locale. Secular classification of Jewish history. That's another topic for another time, but stop sharing my screen. Brukashem. so I muted myself. Okay, hopefully my sound's back. Just trying to go to the chat. Okay, Baruch Hashem. Hopefully that was good. I'll definitely share that. So uh, with the help of Hashem, we, we're going to get that going. So these are some of the things to take into mind, you know, because sometimes we say, well, at Magin Yashenu, are we Ashkenaz? Are we Sephardic? You know, because we do a lot of Sephardic stuff, but we get a lot of Ashkenazic literature. Well, Guess what? We're from the United States of America. So we're going to probably have a blend of things because what's the United States of America? A blend of things. So uh, just a little encouragement there. So back over here, that was to answer the question about uh, is master plan for, you know, all the different flavors of Ju Judaism and what's the goal for Jewish life and things like that. All Jews, just just Jewish. Uh, this is one of the things I love talking to our Chazan about because it's like, we're just Jews. You know, we love Hashem. We love his Torah. We follow Mashiach. You know, that's what we do. And are we Ashkenazi? Are we Sephardic? Are we Moroccan? Maybe, who knows? But we're going to uphold the mitzvot to the best of our ability. And we're going to do what we can that's within our means. And we're going to start with the master plan. We have a source for what we do, which should bring a lot of comfort and security that we're not making things up. And this is not just some little uh, little fad that we're trying to perpetuate. So back to page 23, it says in the middle of that paragraph under contemporary challenges, the Torah's great vision of a just and carrying society as a model to the nations has become extremely relevant in our present in our present situation, and we 
have given due prominence to this fact. So the just and caring society as a model to the nation. So the light to the nations, that's what we're focused on. How can we do that? Go to the last paragraph that starts with another contemporary challenge, which this book is designed to meet is the ongoing influx of hundreds of thousands of Jews from Soviet Russia into Israel. A lot of Judaism that we have today, predominantly, if I mean, maybe not completely like the majority, but a lot of it is from the Soviet Union, uh, Soviet Russia, Slika, into Israel. It says, Jews who have for generations been forcibly alienated from any form of Jewish knowledge. This is one of the things with Shabbatai Zavi. Uh, from my Habruta, he was saying that it's really interesting that Shabbatai Zavi could even be a, a false Mashiach to the majority of Jewry around the world because he wasn't very smart. And by the way, he converted to Islam. And a lot of how he taught and what he had was uh, he, my Haruta labeled it as snake oil. So it's like, he's a snake oil salesman. It's like, how in the world did this happen? Well, guess what? If you have generations that are alienated from the written and the oral Torah unified, uh, you're probably gonna have some issues like that. So, uh, it goes on to say, perhaps an even greater challenge is presented by a large proportion of the Israeli population who for, sounds like what happened to Christians. Wow, ninja stars over here. Okay, um, perhaps an even greater challenge is presented by a large proportion of the Israeli population who for different reasons have unfortunately been estranged from Torah and fed false and distorted ideas of what Torah is and what its goals are. Talk about how the, the system is set up, the government is set up in Israel today. Well, if you got Soviet Russia forcibly alienated uh, Judaism knowledge and stuff, then a large proportion of the um, Israeli population is also estranged from Torah. How can we have any uh, how can we have any cohesive Torah-based legislations going on? And this is why we have the prayer for the, the, the welfare of Israel, because we all need each other. And furthermore, it's not going to happen by might or power. It's going to happen by the spirit of Hashem. And there's things called brachot that take care of those things. So, the last statement I want to read here is uh, right before the end of the paragraph, which is the next statement. It is sincerely hoped that the publication of this book may go some little way to enlighten those who wish to know about the true nature and purposes of Torah and mitzvot. We want to know the nature and the purposes of Torah and mitzvot. We don't want to just know the mitzvah. We don't want to just be doing it, but we want to go beyond that because we don't want to ever be just an external shell of a Jew, an external shell of observance. We want it to go deep into who we are, transform the nature of our very being. And I pray that Hashem will bless us with that. So just some notes I wrote out in my margin. I did put Christianity in the uh, in the margin because estranged from Torah, forcibly alienated from Jewish knowledge. Yeah, that's kind of a thing. Uh, also, I put generations of lack of Jewish knowledge and estrangement from Torah, which takes us away from the true nature and purpose of the mitzvah. So this is one of the things that we can take comfort in is that as we continue to learn, as we continue to grow, we're really 
going beyond just what's on the surface. We really are getting down into soul to soul type things. The soul of the Torah with our neshama. We want Judaism to radiate from inside of us so that the inside of this cup is cleaned as the outside is being cleaned because there are merits in the mitzvah. Don't get us wrong. Like if you do a mitzvah, Baruch Hashem, you just lit a match. But guess what? Matches go out. But your soul, that's the candle of Hashem. And Hashem's fire never goes out unless we neglect it. This is why if we understand the, the Ner Tamid, the lamp that always burned on the menorah, or the, the fire that was on the outer altar that never went out until the destruction of the temple, right? Those fires can go out and it will be due to our negligence. So it is upon us to maintain and, and do the maintenance and do the work of keeping the inside and the outside constantly um, built up. You know, Jude is uh, one of the letters in the Brit Hadashah. And there's a beautiful verse in there. He says, let us build each other up in our most holy faith. And Mishpachah, that's what we have to do. That's ultimately what Jew or what the nation of Israel is supposed to be, what Jews are supposed to be. We're one big family. We're supposed to build each other up. We shouldn't be going, okay, well, are you Orthodox? Because let me, let me get myself together. Or are you Reformed? Okay, well, let me chill out then. Because, you know, you probably ain't even wit what I'm about to say. No. Who are who, who did Hashem call us to be? And from that point, we relate to one another. Because Hashem called our fellow man to be something that we're not. And we're going to have to make those bridges. And we're going to have to get to know those people. You know? So, again, this is why the temple is so beautiful. Because it's going to bring together such a wide range of Jews. And it's just going to be... You could cry, right? You know, and you start crying. Yeah. So anyway, Talim 126. So we are coming up on Pesach, right? Man, time is ticking. So the beautiful thing that I love about taking the time to finish the introduction by uh, getting to know a little bit more about Rabbi Hirsch and the time period and understanding the dynamics of the world is because Slika, for Pesach, we need to get into that mentality because that's what it was like when we were taken from Egypt. When Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim, Mitzrayim was all glow, all show and no go because they had the parades, they had all the festivals, they had the enlightenment, they had all the magic. Did you know there were 10 measures of magic given to the world? Nine of them was taken by Mitzrayim, by Egypt. Nine out of 10. That's greedy. And you shouldn't be playing with magic anyway. But anyway, I digress. All that to say, within that scenario Hashem was like I want my people to come forth you mean to tell me Hashem is going to birth the royal priesthood and the holy nation from that wow Rabbi Hirsch was on the same mentality yes Hashem you can have your nation come out of that master plan Horeb Shulchan Aruch, we can do this and we can still be in the world, but not of it. Did you know a lot of Egyptians or a lot of people, I should say, who came to Egypt during this time left Egypt with the Jews? Many of them became Jews. That's how powerful this is. So I'm going to go to Pirkei. The Rebbe Eliezer, this is a, a good source of uh, Midrash, you know, so if you want some good backstories, this is good. We're in Pashaki Tisa, and we're talking about the golden calf. And this 
this study is always happening. Hang on, let me find my place before I keep talking because I I distract myself. Okay. Um, where are we at? Mm. Israel's behavior in the desert. That is not it. Okay. Golden calf. Oh, here it is. Thank you, Rashama. I'm starting to freak out. Okay. Now my thought is, let me just read this because I don't know where I was going. Okay. Uh, this is page 82 from Pirkei de Rebbe Eliezer. It says, 40 days after the giving, my thought came back. Let me hold on to it. Okay. 40 days after the giving of the Torah, the people forgot their God. 40 days after, but where were we? We were at Mount Sinai. So you mean to tell me we forgot about Hashem while we were looking at him? Hashem said, make a border around the mountain. Don't ascend it lest you die. Don't even let your animals go up the mountain. In that set of circumstances, we forgot about Hashem. Master plan is going to help you not forget Hashem, whether you see him or not in your life. Because <laughs> sometimes Hashem's face is hidden. We just went through Purim. We, we know this. <laughs> we hid our faces during Purim underneath our customs, right? So anyway, so continuing on, they said to Aaron, the Egyptians carried their God before them. Now, what was Hashem doing to us in the wilderness? Leading us. He was walking before us. And he carried us. Clouds of glory much. The ark that carried the priest much. Right? He went before us and he carried us. But in Egypt, it was vice versa. Says, before them singing and chanting to it during their processions make us a god like the egyptians so we can see it in front of our eyes as it says the people gathered around aharon and said to him make us a god to lead us shemot 31 1 they approached both of moshe's attendants aharon and hor with this request the two people that held up the arms of Moshe during the battle against Amalek, uh, those two people was who the mob gathered against and said, yeah, take us back to Egypt, even though we're here at the mountain. We're going to bring Egypt to us. So my point is, is every year as we are in between Purim and Pesach, that we are always studying this, studying the calf. We're always remembering that we just got out of Mitzrayim. We've been through a whole lot of stuff. And Hashem was like, just wait right here. I'm going to give you the Torah. I need you to prepare yourself, work on yourself, make shuva, things like that. What are we doing right now? We're preparing our homes. We're getting rid of hummus. You know, got to eat up a lot of food, you know, to make sure we don't have to throw it away. We're getting our plans together. Uh, we need to be off work for different days of Shabbat. We need to have our guest list figured out. If if we're going to invite people, you know, what am I cooking? What am I going to eat for seven whole days that doesn't have hummus in it? We're going to we're going to go on a diet. Right. This is every single year at this time. Hashem is like, listen, I want to pull out my nation from a mist. This Renaissance man thought this um, divorce, the spirit and the physical get away from the Torah. I want. I want my people to come back to the Torah. I want my people to draw near to the Torah. I want my people to unify the spiritual and the physical. This is every single year during this time. So what I wanted to do was teach us how to use master plan within the course of our lives. Because when it's Purim, we learn we can go in the index and we can look up Purim and find out some things about Purim. 
learn some halakha. We can also learn some insights and things like that. Well, guess what? We're going to go to the index today and look up Pesach. So if you'll join me, go into the back. I'll give you the page, I think. No, I will. Okay, Bruce It is 394, page 394. Right-hand column. You got to know your ABCs in order to read the index, right? <laughs> it says Pesach. Parentheses Passover. It doesn't say Pesach. Here's a here's a transliteration note. Note to self. Sometimes the Chet isn't translated as a CH, but it's translated as just an H. So guess what? If you're looking up Mashiach, which I was like, that's the first thing I want to look up. Uh, it's under Messiah or Mashiach. Uh, page, yep, page 393. See how they spell Mashiach. It's in the uh, right-hand column. You'll see it there. It says three-stage process. Oh, snap. There's multiple processes. There's the first coming, the second coming. Oh, snap, you know. Actually, three comings because when, he, when the Sapphire Tablets came, that's the first coming of Mashiach, but never really got that one. And then Mashiach born in the flesh, to uh, Miriam and Yosef, and then obviously to return Mashiach ben David. Anyway, that's here. That's the master plan. You can read that for another time. Just a quick swerve. Note to self. But page 394, though. It says Pesach must fall in the spring. See that on page 224. The prohibition of Hametz. See page 197. Teachings, page 185. What it represents, page 183. So, what I like to do when I see multiple pages like that, I start with what's the earliest page? Because if you've already read ahead in Master Plan past the, the preface, you'll see that this book always goes, oh, yeah, see more about that in chapter so-and-so. See more about that in section so-and-so. Like, it'll jump around. So the, the cool thing about it is if you start with the first time Pesach is uh, represented in this book, it's going to cause you to jump. And so that way you don't miss anything by if you started at 224, you know, things like that. You can go in chronological order, kind of. So we're going to go to page 183. And it took me a long time to read this page because there's so, so much here. So page 183 starts with section two, and it says the four Moedim which is the four appointed times. It's interesting because we know that there are way more than four, right? Well, check this out. It says each of the Moedim has two aspects. On the one hand, they perpetuate the mighty acts by which God was manifested at creation of our nation. On the other hand, they are correlated with the seasons of the year. Spiritual and physical. Hashem is like, these go, pun intended, hand in hand. The oral law teaches us that what is called the eighth day of Sukkot is actually a festival in its own right. Sheminiat Zeret, the assembly of the eighth. Now, if you're in the diaspora, this is uh, technically the ninth day because it's broken up. Spiritual and the physical have to be balanced. Yep, that's right. So, um, but yeah, but uh, as far as we're doing right now, we're sticking to the Israeli schedule, which is just the eighth day celebration of Passover. Uh, uh, wow. Sukkot, which the eighth day will be Shemini Atzeret. <laughs> okay. So anyway, so that makes the four Moedim, because if you flip the page... It's got a handy chart. Look at that. We got number one is the Shabbat. Number two is Pesach. By the way, Pesach is called a Shabbat. Uh, Bezrat Hashem commentary will come out on that this year. Uh, number three, uh, Shabbat. Number four, Sukkot. So then we have Shemineat Zeret, which is five, Rosh Hashanah six, Yom Kippur seven. So we talk about the big four. 
it's typically uh, Pesach, Shavuot, Sukkot, and then obviously the Shabbat. So flip back. Uh, it says here, continuing in the second paragraph, it says this stands in a similar relation to the seven days of Sukkot as Shavuot stand, stands to the seven days of Pesach. Shavuot is supposed to be the eighth day of Pesach, but we have 49 intermediate days after the last day of Pesach to get to Shavuot. But during Sukkot, all eight days are together with no break. So then it goes on to say, the difference is only that Shemini Adzeret follows immediately after Sukkot, we just said that, while Shabbat is linked to Pesach by the counting of the Omer. See chapter 47. So if you're already getting yourself prepared for counting the Omer, chapter 47, take note. It says again, Pesach and Sukkot each have their distinctive practical mitzvot. See chapters 45 through 46 and 49 through 50. While Shabbat and Shemini Atzeret have no practical mitzvot. They are purely spiritual in character. What? Because we have mitzvot on those days. But the essence, the true nature and the purpose of Shabbat, the true nature and the purpose and the essence of Shemini Atzeret, no mitzvot. It's purely spiritual. I don't know what to do with that. So we're just going to keep moving. Flip the page. <laughs> what the festivals teach. Um, there is a beautiful note that I took somewhere. Oh, yeah. It's, it's on page 186. Let's read the first sentence here. Pesach teaches that God rules over nature and the nations over life and death. Circle that. Highlight that. Because what's going on in this crazy world? Hashem's in charge. He can overcome it just as quickly as Thanos snapped his finger to dust people in the, the Marvel Universe. Okay? So, page 186 is where we'll end tonight because we learn about forbidden work. It's called Malacha or Malacha. And these are forbidden labors that you do on Shabbat, like that you don't do on Shabbat. <laughs> and it says, uh, these, are, these are called no laborious work. So master plan page 186. This right here just completely just stumped me. But uh, a quick note, Moadim, we mentioned that word. That's the appointed time, also known as the Yom Tov or the holidays. So if you hear Moadim, that's what that means. These are meant to be, or the meaning of Moedim is joyful meeting points with God. Moedim, joyful meeting points. Literally, Moed is the singular form, just like the tent of meeting is called the Ohel Moed. Side note, that's the gematria of Yosef. So the Yosef to Hashem are the festivals. In other words, the face, the, the link, and the bringing us in, you know, the conduit, if you will, that's the moed. It says at the bottom, under forbidden labor, the common factor of all these days is that they, are, they interrupt our everyday life in order to make us contemplate the truths lying at the base of our existence. They consecrate us and endow us with spiritual strength to resume our everyday life on a higher level. We're gonna have a Shabbat day to get into Pesach and we're gonna have a Shabbat day to get out of Pesach. And those intermediate days, you're allowed to work but there's still Yom Tov days that you need to make sure that you stay in the mentality of it's Pesach. So figure out different meals and things like that, right? But the beautiful thing is, is after that week ends and when we continue to count the Omer and get into Shavuot and after all that ends, that was a big interruption to our daily program, if you will, that says your life should now be on a higher spiritual plane.
because of what you just experienced. You should be transformed. You should be renewed in your mind, in your heart, in your soul through the Yom Tov. So I just wanted to point that out when we talk about forbidden labors to, cause we know there's no cutting, there's no tying and all this kind of stuff. Okay, well, yeah, you can get into that, but understand the foundation of all those. It says, stop, who is Hashem to you? And who are you to Hashem? So that is our time. I think our chat, I went through it as we go. So Baruch Hashem. So Todah Rabbah to everyone. I want to say Lila Tov. May Hashem bless you with a beautiful prep day as we enter into the Shabbat. It is Shabbat Parah this week. So the Shabbat of the Red Heifer. Enjoy learning about it and being purified through the reading of it. Uh, because when you read about the, the offerings, it's as if you brought that offering. So uh, early Shabbat Shalom and Lala Tov.